Section 25 Chapter 20 The Sisters of Mercy Angels of the Battlefield by George Barton This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Sisters of Mercy None of the sisters who gave up their time and talents to the cause of suffering humanity did better work than the Sisters of Mercy. Their most conspicuous service was on southern battlefields, although, like their colleagues in this merciful work, they were subject to the call of duty no matter whence it came. On the 19th of June, 1862, Vicar General Stars of New York applied for a sufficient corps of nurses to take charge of a military hospital in North Carolina. The proposition was laid before the Sisters of St. Catherine's Convent of Mercy in New York City, and the invitation promptly and cheerfully accepted. Nine sisters were selected for the mission. They included Sisters Mary Augustine McKenna, M. Elizabeth Callanan, M. Paul Lennon, M. Gertrude Ledwith, M. Paula Harris, M. Veronica Demond, and M. Agatha McCarthy. The Mother Superior and Mother Alphonsus decided to go with the party. The chaplain was Reverend Father Bruhl, a native of Hungary, 60 years of age. He had a long flowing gray beard, and while he was not possessed of an adequate knowledge of English, he was equipped with a valuable experience of hospital work incident to warfare. This was derived from long and laborious service in the French army during the war which resulted in the taking of Algiers. The sisters bade adieu to their convent friends on the 15th of July and boarded the government boat Catawba, which was to take them to the scene of their future labors at Beaufort, North Carolina. The sisters were under the care of General Foster, who showed them every consideration. It happened that 500 horses destined for cavalry service were to be passengers on the vessel, and as the tedious and somewhat distressing process of getting them into the hold only commenced after the sisters boarded the boat, the Catawba could not leave the dock until the afternoon of July 16th. A non-Catholic officer writing from Beaufort at this time says, The Hammond General Hospital at Beaufort, North Carolina, is eligibly located on the bay, the tide rising and falling entirely around the main building. It is under the care of the Sisters of Mercy, whose earnest devotedness to the noble task they have assumed is manifested in the cleanly condition of the place and the comfort and contentment displayed by all the patients. One kitchen, a perfect bijou of a kitchen, is devoted to the use of the sisters, where they prepare every kind of delicacy which the condition of the sick require, in such a manner as those good sisters only can prepare such things. The prejudice which exists in some illiberal-minded persons towards Catholics would be very speedily and effectually dispelled could they witness, as we have, these worthy ladies modestly but earnestly pursuing their vocation among the sick and wounded, with no hope of reward until he, 
whose divine example they imitate, shall say, I was weary, and ye ministered unto me. Long may Sister Mary Madeline, the superior, and her amiable sisters, be spared to pursue their work of faith and love among us. Our soldiers feel truly grateful to Mrs. Foster, the accomplished wife of our Major General, for her consideration in bringing the sisters here. The structure, which was known as the hospital, is thus admirably described by Mother Mary Carroll. It was a large building that had formerly been a summer hotel. It was so near the shore that at high tide the waves rolled in and out under the timber props on which it was erected. It was a frame building containing 500 rooms. The sisters arrived in the midst of a heavy rainstorm. As they passed from the wharf to the building in single file, all dressed in black, the patients looking out of the windows took them for nine lone widows seeking the dead bodies of their husbands. The place contained no furniture except a few miserable bedsteads and was in a most desolate condition. There was only one broom and very few utensils. The broom, in possession of Chloe, a saucy little negress, was seldom available. Along the shore were wrecks of pianos, tables, chairs, glass, etc. There were no candles or lamps, and everyone was compelled to retire before night. Truly a forsaken habitation for women, the most of whom had been brought up in homes of comfort and refinement. The house was extremely dirty, and the sisters got very little rest the first night. The next day a transformation took place. The newcomers, with what assistance they could obtain from the natives, began the work of house cleaning. Bob Spruill, a young negro, who was presented with a red shirt, was installed as water carrier. He was so delighted with the conspicuous but useful garment that he wore it outside of his Sunday coat and proclaimed himself the best-dressed man in North Carolina. The first dinner of the sisters was a sumptuous repast of pork and beans and moldy bread, to which was added coffee sweetened with molasses. Eight rooms were assigned to the nurses. These rooms were located on the second story and opened out on a piazza overlooking the sound. In spite of the great consideration shown to the sisters, they were compelled to undergo many privations. Two of the sisters, whose names are not recorded, died from the effects of these hardships, and several were dangerously ill. Nearly all the patients differed from the sisters in religious belief, and their coming caused several humorous as well as pathetic incidents. Many of the soldiers had never met a real live sister before. Their minds had been installed with false notions, and it was some days before they appreciated the sisters in their real character and at their true worth. After the work in the locality was finished, the steward of the hospital confessed that he often sat up until one o'clock in the morning watching the sisters, fully expecting them to poison the patients or do some other terrible thing, they being confessed emissaries of the Pope. The dress of the sisters scared some of the others. Great heavens, shrieked one patient to the nurse that bent over him. Are you a man or a woman? But your hand is a woman's hand. Its touch is soft and your voice is gentle. 
What are you? Only a poor servant of the great master, come from afar to serve you, said the sister. Sister moaned another, I'm dying. I want to be what you are. Help me. What the sister believes, I believe, cried another, who had probably never known any religion. Sister, tell me what to answer when the priest comes to baptize me. When the patients finally recovered sufficiently to leave the hospital, they would offer little keepsakes to the sisters, a button, a shred of blue or gray, a pebble, with a fervent, God bless you, sister, I'll never forget you, pray for me. The sisters became part of the patients' lives. They did more than nurse them. They cheered them in their hours of despondency and wrote letters for them to the anxious ones at home. Some of the sisters, by reason of ill health, were compelled to return to New York. Their places were promptly filled with recruits from the mother house. The perfect discipline among the sisters, the spirit of humility and self-sacrifice that prevailed generally, was exhibited when the mother superior in charge was succeeded by Mother M. Augustine McKenna. Mother Augustine was one of the women who had previously prepared food for the soldiers. The patients and others were surprised to learn after the change that she was not only a person of great executive ability, but that she was also a woman of the utmost refinement and one of the most intellectual members of the sisterhood. In October 1862, it was found that Beaufort was too much exposed for the patients and they were removed to New Bern. The residence of Governor Stanley was placed at the disposal of the sisters. It was transformed into a handsome convent, the parlor being used as a chapel. After the raids at Goldsboro, all of the wards were crowded with sick and wounded. Americans, Germans, Irish, and Creoles all came in the same ambulances with their clothing matted to the skin from ghastly wounds. They were all treated alike by the nurses who were working in the cause of humanity. Some time after the war, Jefferson Davis, ex-president of the late Confederacy, addressing a number of the sisters, said, Will you allow me, ladies, to speak a moment with you? I am proud to see you once more. I can never forget your kindness to the sick and wounded in our darkest days, and I know not how to testify my gratitude and respect for every member of your noble order. Mr. Davis met Mother Mary Teresa Austin Carroll in 1887, and he reiterated his expressions of thankfulness towards the nurses who had performed what he called a great work. Many other dignitaries and soldiers on both the Union and Confederate sides testified to the good services rendered by the Sisters of Mercy. Their labors, however, did not end with the war, for after that cruel period they busied themselves in establishing homes for widows and asylums for the orphans. The Sisters of Mercy also worked with unremitting zeal during the war at Mississippi Springs, Oxford Jackson, and Shelby Springs. The Southern Sisters, after devoting months to the service of the sick and wounded soldiers in these localities, returned home to Vicksburg only to find that General Slocum had confiscated their convent for a headquarters. Father Michael O'Connor, S.J., formerly Bishop of Pittsburgh, 
was a personal friend of Secretary of the War Stanton, and he at once interested himself in the cause of the sisters. After a brief correspondence, their property was restored to them. In February 1862, the mayor of Cincinnati applied to the archbishop of the same city for a sufficient number of sisters to nurse the sick and wounded soldiers of the Ohio regiments. The application was sent to Mother Teresa, who not only complied with it, but headed the delegation of sisters that went to the front. Grant and Johnson had met at Shiloh, and the Battle of Pittsburgh Landing was the result. The sisters went down the river on the Superior, preparing bandages and other hospital necessaries on the way. There was plenty of work to do when they landed, and it was entered upon with zeal. A number of secular ladies also arrived upon the scene and insisted upon aiding in the work. The sisters cheerfully accepted their assistance. In a few days, smallpox broke out among the patients, and the secular ladies suddenly remembered that they had important engagements elsewhere. They deserted the temporary hospitals with more haste than dignity, leaving the sisters in undisputed possession. Mother Teresa was especially devoted during the smallpox epidemic, joining the other sisters in personally dressing the wounds of the patients suffering from this loathsome disease. The Sisters of Mercy also worked zealously in St. Louis. They visited almost daily the hospitals on the fairgrounds in that city, where an average of from 1,000 to 2,000 sick and wounded men were being cared for. Many other visitations were made to private hospitals and private dwellings where the necessities of the occasion happened to place the disabled soldiers. Particular attention was paid to the patients in the McDowell College, used as a hospital for sick prisoners of war. The sisters sent large hampers to this institution, filled with clothing and with delicacies in the way of food and drink. Some of the poor sufferers were stone blind, but as soon as they discovered that the Sisters of Mercy were among them, they would stretch out their hands, crying, Welcome, sisters. If you had never given us anything, we would still rejoice to have you come amongst us with your consoling words. Three of the prisoners of war in the McDowell Hospital were condemned to be shot as a measure of retaliation, one of the cruel customs of the war. The sentence of death had been passed with all due military solemnity, and the carrying out thereof was inevitable. Knowing this to be the case, the sisters visited the condemned men in their cells and urged them to make suitable preparations for death. The unfortunate men received the sisters with cordiality, but they were furious at the decree which condemned them to death and absolutely refused to consider any suggestions which would cause them to forgive their enemies. While the sisters were pleading with the men, an armed guard stood at the door, and two other sentinels paced up and down the corridor with a regularity and grimness that filled the scene with awe. Finally, perseverance conquered. The doomed men relented, and a clergyman accompanied them to the scaffold. They were blindfolded when making fervent acts of contrition, and while engaged in this pious devotion, were launched into eternity. 
one of the duties that devolved upon the sisters during the war as well as thereafter was the care of the widows and orphans of the soldiers there was one pathetic case in the mcdowell institution it concerned two little girls daughters of southern prisoners their mother and married sister had died in the prison and their father was among the missing the little ones were seriously ill when they were brought to the attention of the sisters they were in such a sad plight that their clothes had to be changed in the yard and the cast-off garments buried baptism was administered to them and their physical needs given immediate attention the younger child about eight years of age died a few days later the other recovered and was instructed in the ways necessary for a life of virtue and usefulness at the close of the war she was claimed by her father he had searched the city in a vain endeavor to find his offspring and when he had all but abandoned hope located her in the house of mercy conducted by the sisters on being given positive pledges that the child would be properly cared for the sisters restored her to the anxious father mary mulholland who became known as mother francis of the sisters of mercy did wonderfully effective work during the war she was born in armagh ireland in eighteen o eight but came to this country when a mere child her one desire was to become a member of one of those devoted sisterhoods that gave their lives to the service of the creator in spite of the opposition of her parents this object was finally achieved the opportunity came when bishop quarter engaged a colony of sisters of mercy for chicago in eighteen forty three the journey to the western city was by stage and boat. A terrific storm arose while the party was crossing Lake Michigan. A high wave swept over the deck of the vessel, carrying men, women, and children into the angry waters. Mary Mulholland was one of those that went overboard, and when a brave man, a Mr. Ogden, who afterwards became the first mayor of Chicago, attempted to save her, she cried, leave me to my fate save the others he did save others but he saved her too for a future of usefulness and good works the future mother of the order received the white veil from the bishop in april eighteen forty seven and was professed by dispensation december twenty eighth eighteen forty eight her business accomplishments made her a valuable member of the community speaking of the experience of this good woman in the civil war mother carroll says when the civil war broke out mother francis organized among the sisters a band of volunteer nurses to minister to the sick and wounded on southern battlefields she accompanied them to missouri and set them to work in chicago she looked after the soldiers whether sick or prisoners a sister who shared with her the fatigues of these great works writes many soldiers crying out in agony on their hard beds blessed her as she passed her holy hands over their burning brows the absent fathers and mothers for whom they called could not come but this gentle humble self-sacrificing soul supplied their places a southern lad of eighteen cried like a child when she laid her hand on his clammy brow oh god he murmured i thought you were my mother she prepared him for death, and he died in her arms.
Mother Frances was a power in the prisons and hospitals when the most influential gentlemen and committees were refused admission. There were so many sympathizers with Confederates in Chicago that a general uprising between Federals and secessionists was often feared. Whenever or wherever the Sisters of Mercy appeared, the sick and wounded soldiers, whether in blue or gray uniform, were abundantly supplied with everything necessary for their comfort. Once, when Secretary Stanton refused to supply more rations during the current month, the case was laid before the President, who wrote, To all whom it may concern, on application of the Sisters of Mercy in Chicago of the Military Hospital in Washington, furnish such provisions as they desire to purchase and charge the same to the War Department. Signed, Abraham Lincoln. After the war, Mother Frances continued her useful work in many convents of her order, dying peacefully on December 8, 1888. End of chapter 20